for today's podcast. Dr. Smith, you're back with us today to do what we've talked about uh, as a board recap. We had a school board meeting last night, so uh, I thought we'd take this opportunity to go through that. You and I talked last week, and you did a great job kind of explaining how to get this information. So if you're ready, we'll just recap what we covered in the Board of Trustees meeting last night. Absolutely. So once again, just like to direct everyone's attention to evscschools.com, and that's a great, easy way to access uh, the information that we're about to recap. So if you go to About Us, then pull up Board of School Trustees and then hover over Board Docs and click on Board Docs, it will then take you to the information about Board Docs on the evscschools.com uh, website, and then just simply click here, and then it brings up Board Docs for you. And then we're going to be providing a recap for uh, last night's meeting, this being Tuesday, February the 9th. So we will recap Monday, February 8th's regular board meeting. You'll see that that has then been highlighted. So then we'll just click on View the Agenda, and we'll go through it. And that is the agenda that was covered in last night's school board meeting. So the items are on the left, and then you're going to take us through this and, and show people where they can click. So, of course, we always start. We have some public comments if anyone's interested. Uh, and then we have a roll call. We do a Pledge of Allegiance, and that officially then begins the meeting. So uh, if you look under consent, and this is a part of the meeting that you go through, specifically in your role, you go through the approval of the minutes. And then if you could talk to us about those next two items, because it seems like they're on every school board meeting, that allowance of payments and any grant proposal approvals. You want to talk about what that means? Certainly, but if I could go back to consent item 3.01, if you click on that, then you will see the, who made the motion and then the outcome of the vote. Okay. Uh, and then moving on to 3.02, so the format primarily is the same. And as you alluded to, we have allowance of payments uh, at every meeting. So let me click on that. You can see the motion and the voting uh, there, but clicking on allowance of payments and let me get the orientation of this page correct. So basically, uh, this particular allowance of payment summary covers 11 pages and uh, would total then $10.1 million for the period immediately following uh, the last board meeting, which was held on January 25th up through uh, February 8th. So you can see that there are cafeteria payments of uh, slightly more than $302,000, invoices totaling uh, 1.9, nearly $2 million, a contract bus driver payment. So we have our own bus drivers, and then we also have individuals that contract with us. They own their own bus, and then they contract with us to drive specific routes. And then uh, they, those, I believe, 59 drivers receive in total a monthly payment equivalent to $287,980. And then the net payroll in the amount of a uh, little bit in excess of $4.8 million, and then payroll obligations of two point six. So uh, the next uh, board recap that we will do two weeks from today, um, I'd like to have Dr. Underwood on to go more in depth in, in this as well as some of the routine um, financial uh, updates that we provide the board. But just in general, you will see that this check was written on the 15th and it was uh, for cafeteria expenses. And so then the, the source of funding was from the school lunch fund and uh, this invoice totaled $300,871.17. So you'll see that 
once again, that same format is followed. Uh, in operations, $499,985.36. Once again, these were invoices. And then we'll go through just a few Would it be more. accurate, Dr. Smith, for someone watching this to say, just like any company has to pay bills, we have expenses, we get bills, we have to pay these bills. And then in the school board's role, they are providing that oversight as individuals who are elected officials. So while we're paying those bills, they have to approve that, which is why you take this to them at each meeting. Is that accurate? Uh, yes, and, and to expand on that just a little bit, the school board, the elected school board members, are the governance side okay. of our organization. Their responsibility is to policy and then to hire uh, the staff side, primarily the superintendent then who uh, makes certain that there is a staff in place to carry out the wishes of the board. So as you know, we're a large enterprise, uh, 22,000 students, 3,400 employees. All total, that's more than 25,000 individuals. We conduct business each and every day, uh, and board members come in on an every other week basis to review what has been done when it comes to financial matters to make certain they provide that oversight. The backup data for this is probably in the realm of five to 600 pages. Uh, but in addition to this, we're audited every year, both our uh, local funds as well as our state and our federal funds. So there is a great deal of oversight on the financial end of things, uh, as there should be. Absolutely. But, um, they come in because it does require uh, approval in a public meeting. So that's exactly what the board is doing uh, every other week in our board meetings. And, it, and what you were just pulling up, those attachments, those are always on uh, board docs if you look for any school board meeting. So you can really go through and see what these items are and scroll through just as you were. Yes. Yeah, so uh, on the screen here, you will see, for instance, the check date of 122.21. And then these are the various funds along with the fund title that uh, that funds were pulled from as a result of our net payroll. So you see the total payroll, once again, 3,400 employees are paid primarily on a biweekly schedule, and then minus payroll obligations and then a net payroll. And as I said, we'll have, uh, and then the certification uh, on each page, but we'll have Dr. Underwood come in at our next. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Just uh to give us a little bit more depth and detail. Sure, sure, about what absolutely. This means as well as other informational items that will appear on the next board. Okay. Second item that's on there, uh, it seems like each meeting is 3.03 .03, consideration of approved grant proposals. So why would something like that be on the school board meeting minutes? It's important for board members to approve actions that uh, we commit ourselves to through grant proposals. So this. Uh, is a relatively small grant, don't know that we will receive it or not, but uh, the proposal is to request from Youth Resources an amount of $728.14 uh, because Youth Resources has uh, Make a Difference grant. Mm -hmm. So this is for uh, Mr. Tolliver at uh, Plaza Park uh, Prep Academy uh, or Middle School. And then you have the description here of what that is. and. Uh, how this obligates EVSC should EVSC be awarded that grant. Uh, so it's a way to keep board members in the loop, and it's also a way to make certain that before we actually apply for a grant or uh, would receive funds that the board has been apprised of that and approves of the kind of requirements that we are or that we would receive 
if we had the funds sure. and how we obligate ourselves for those uh, additional actions. Sure. Um, we've got a few more items here than consent items. I don't know if you'd like to say anything about 3.04 or 3.05 and take that Sure. Part. So, uh, you know, we have many, many requirements. Uh, one of the requirements outlined in ENIA Code 5-2-10 0.1-9 requires each school corporation to designate an individual to serve as a school safety specialist. As part of that law and as part of that congruent policy, 8400, the superintendent is required to put forward a name to uh, operate as our school safety specialist. So uh, last night we asked that the board approve Katie Elmer, who's the deputy chief of staff, to take on this additional responsibility doesn't change her job duties, no additional pay involved sure. with this, but she is now our officially designated and approved um, school safety specialist. And she did receive that certification, as you can see in the verbiage, in 2017. Okay. And then 3.05. Uh, if you would talk to us, because I, I, I think this might be interesting to some people, when you have items that are declared surplus, I know uh, the answer to this. It, we can't just do whatever we want with items. If a school has excess items that have reached the end of their life, they can't just choose to do what they want because, again, it's that oversight. We have to follow certain protocols. Absolutely. So as I think the public will understand, these were purchased with public funds. And as you can see, they have to be disposed in accordance with Indiana Code 5-22-22. So basically... The Office of Technology, in this case, has ensured that this equipment has reached the end of its useful life and will be alloc uh, allocated and disposed of uh, in the manner of the Indiana Code that is listed there. So um, it still has value to others. Um, we have, uh, I think, taken a great deal of pride to make certain that our students and our staff have the best and the latest technology. Definitely. As everyone knows, technology continues to advance. We continue to upgrade all of our technology. So uh, because this is of a certain value, then there are certainly stipulations that we have to follow. Among them are we would have to advertise requesting sealed bids for the sale of this equipment. So what equipment is it? Uh, 23 pages, I believe, of switches, routers, uh, IP phones, um, also I think some desktop phones, um, and it did say here, so network switches, Cisco wireless access points, and then desk phones and wireless IP phones. And I think the important thing is anyone in the public that's following along with us or whenever they choose to do that under public content, they can click on that and they can see that item for themselves. There's no right. secret here about what's been designated as surplus. Absolutely not. So if one were interested in all of this equipment, then they could put a bid in for the entire lot. It's not that they can say, I want this particular phone, serial number, whatever. Uh, yeah. it, it would have to be the entire lot. But uh, this does have quite a bit of value. So uh, I think it's just important for the public to know that you know, we're highly regulated, as we should be, but there is a process that we have to follow to dispose of equipment that has been deemed surplus by us. Okay. Um, item number 3.06 uh, is something that has been on the last couple of meetings. you want to just touch base on what that is? Certainly. Once again, you can see the motion and the voting, uh, and this is a resolution basically that extends the Family First Coronavirus Response Act that was approved uh, by Congress in 2020. Mm -hmm. It expired December 31st, 2020. So EVSC is voluntarily 
extended the provision for uh, our employees for our employees and basically from the onset it provided 10 additional paid days off uh, for individuals that had to take time off due to the virus so it could have been the employee it could have been one of their their kids uh, but basically we wanted to extend that hopefully Congress will um, extend that protection also but if they don't uh, we have provided that because we we think that's very important for our employees. Okay, and our board has been, as I've said, has been renewing this each time or extending these, kind of right. waiting to see what happens. For a two-week period here. of time, yes. Okay. okay, so that wraps up that section. And then next we have the consideration of personnel recommendations. This is on each meeting, and you want to just touch base on what this is. Certainly, so individuals then can go click on that uh, document, uh, and they can see the HR functions, uh, basically with uh, hiring of employees, those employees that are resigned or are retired. Just bear in mind, we have 3,400 employees. I think we're the third largest employer in the region. Yeah. Uh, so we would have certainly some activity uh, every other week on and, the and you'll, agenda. you'll also see this broken down by certified, classified. If you don't know what that means, certified means you have a teaching license. That's where you would tend to see a, a teacher, a principal, a right. coach, that type of thing. Classified, non-teach license license position. So there you might see a bus driver, a school secretary, um, and a classroom assistant, those type of right. positions. Yes. Okay. Um, and then we get into the, the next two sections is action and information. And when we had our uh, kind of recap or our intro to this uh, last week, we talked about how items typically go from information to action. So let's start with the action items that board members voted on. So 5.01, you want to just talk briefly too about what that means? Certainly. So on the board meeting of January the 25th, this was presented as an information item. Um, we have early learning centers that are open to the public, primarily at Scott Elementary School with Little Husky World and Daniel Wirtz Elementary uh, that's known as Little Panther World. They are outstanding uh, programs. They are NACI accredited, uh, level four, paths to quality and that is the highest level and designation that you can receive so on a regular basis we do uh, an audit of the rates that we charge uh, for the community versus other community uh, early learning programs that are of equal status so that are NACI accredited uh, level four paths to quality um, and there's a adjustment here of I believe six dollars a week uh, to basically make certain that they fall in line with other community programs. Really? So it's just consistent with similar programs that serve young children in our community. And Correct. I think if you look in the explanation, it says the last time an adjustment was made was two years ago. So now it was time right. to kind of reanalyze where we were at on that. So. so once again, anyone interested can read the verbiage there and the rationale why, and then can also click on the document to receive further information. Okay. Second item under action 5.02 was a consideration to approve a joint resolution. And uh, people listening to this podcast may have heard this covered by local media. Um, you want to talk to us about uh, really what that was last night? Certainly. Well, House Bill 1005, as well as some uh, congruent language in Senate Bill 412, as well as Senate Bill 413, basically expand school choice scholarships and then create something called education savings account. Uh, frankly, I think they're very detrimental to the entire state. Now, the state has a responsibility carved out in Indiana's constitution to make certain that they provide 
free of charge, and open equally to all common schools. That was the language of the day when Indiana statehood was founded. Basically, those are public schools. Uh, I was blessed to serve on the governor's next level uh, compensation uh, teacher pay uh, commission. And uh, so these are just my opinions and thoughts as a member of that. Certainly not the thoughts or not speaking on behalf of the commission. But I will tell you that that was a very extensive study completed over a two-year period of time. And the commission found that over the last decade, Indiana basically has not supported its public schools to the extent necessary to keep teacher pay uh, in line with our neighboring states. Right now, we are ninth out of 12 Midwestern states in terms of teacher pay. The commission thought in order to take us up to third in the region, not first, mind you, but right. third, with an a average teacher salary of $60,000, would take in an annual investment of $600 million a year. Now, the commission didn't say, okay, state, that's solely on your back. The commission said, state, you basically have responsibility for half of that amount, $300 million. And districts, we expect you to reallocate existing resources then and drive that into teacher pay. So... It is very disheartening that coming out of a pandemic where we all know that the state's resources are less than they would have been had the pandemic not occurred, that there are members of the General Assembly that think it is wise to funnel another $100 million out away from public education instead of investing in public education and instead of investing in our teachers. So I think just want to remind the public that Indiana public schools educate more than 90% of the students in Indiana. And there is evidence that uh, teacher pay in Indiana is woefully behind. I know just from an EVSC perspective over the last decade, if EVSC would be funded just to keep pace with inflation, that would mean more than $100 million would have been collected and provided uh, to, for services for our students. That's $100 million in a decade just for EVSC. So the evidence is quite clear and compelling that the state, A, has a responsibility to fund public schools, and B, if you please make certain that you live up to the expectation, the responsibility that you have to adequately fund public schools. As I said, there's a voluminous report um, that indicated the, the reasons for the, the shortage of uh, pay for teachers and solutions. Uh, and I, it's difficult for me to believe that investing another $100 million in, in a program that basically provides uh, tuition for private schools, of which 58% of the students that uh, now avail themselves of choice scholarships have never been in public schools. So in essence, the state is funding yet another educational system that was never contemplated by the founders of Indiana, certainly not written into the Constitution. So I, I think the board, as well as being joined by Teamsters Local 215, as well as being joined by our teachers, said, wait, we're not anti-public or private schools, not anti-public or private schools at all. It is simply, please, General Assembly, live up to your responsibility before you start funding yet another entity.
And I think a, a key part, too, last mm. night there was a good conversation about this, you but several board members as well during the meeting. But, again, that joint resolution, the fact that this wasn't just our school board. Um, this was the Evansville Teachers Association. This was Local 215 that represents many of our employees as well. So this was several individual groups coming together uh, to try to, to speak what they feel is important for right. legislators. And as I lifted last night, Indiana, <clears throat> excuse me, Indiana last year spent $173 million on choice scholarship. $173 million. So you add that to the proposed $100 million to expand that. And that nearly, well, that's 91% of the funding necessary to have the state bring our teacher salaries up to what would be third in the Midwest. We're not asking to be number one. The commission didn't expect it to be number one. And as I said, I'm not speaking on behalf of the commission, but as a member of that commission, knowing the information that went into that two-year study, as well as a superintendent over the last decade that has continued to see funding for traditional public schools not keep pace with inflation, I'm simply saying, please live up to your responsibilities to fund public education first before you decide to fund other entities. And, and as a superintendent, you're not just looking, of course, you're extremely concerned about our current workforce of teachers, but I know you're looking to the future as well, knowing that teacher pay definitely has an impact on the competition for quality teachers among states and for high school age students now getting ready to go into college to make that decision, do I want to major in education and spend a career in that? Absolutely. I've said time and time again that it's difficult to imagine a vibrant community without a vibrant public school system, and I stand by that comment. Any employer, any family looking to relocate or to locate in Indiana would expect and need to have a vibrant public school system throughout the state. Uh, and when you deliberately take funding out of that system, in essence defunding the very system that you're required to fund by the Constitution, it is troubling because it will not improve quality of life. It will not improve the quality of workforce that we all desire to have in Indiana. And yes, it will not if we continue down this pathway, it will become increasingly difficult to get the kind of dedicated public servant to be a teacher and the kind of teacher that all of our students deserve. I think it was lifted several times last night, too, that this has suddenly kind of come to everyone's attention because this wasn't necessarily something that if you listen to different campaigns of legislators around the state that you heard back in the early fall. This is something that's just suddenly bubbled to the top now that people are in office. Well, I completely agree. I know of no politician running for the General Assembly that said, this is what I intend to do if elected. Um, and during a pandemic where you, it's difficult to have public testimony uh, on these various matters, it, it's troubling on many fronts. And I would ask the public, if you agree, you know, please contact your elected representatives uh, to voice your opposition. Because, frankly, in Indiana, there is open enrollment in all public schools. Uh, the school choice uh, program is now not any not even remotely close to how it was sold originally more than a decade ago. 
Okay. And for anyone that wants to see that resolution, certainly just as you've shown us all uh, this entire podcast, you can definitely go on and click uh, here on Board Docs, and you can see it, and that's what you've got on the screen right now. Yes. Okay. All right, so that wraps up the action section of last night's meeting. So, again, that's when board members take action. Then the next section of the meeting was information items. These are things that, as you've, as you've said a few times now, are brought forward, a chance for people to ask questions, and then typically two weeks later, then we'll move over to the action side. So information item 6.01, the network infrastructure upgrade bid. I don't know if you want to share anything about that, but then if you would, Dr. Smith, if you would also talk about why do we typically see that word on board meetings, uh, and that is the word bid, and why that's important. Well, once again, it's part of a legal process that we have to um, entertain in order to purchase equipment with various thresholds of, of spending levels. So once again, uh, and this is part of federal E-rate program, but, uh, and I won't read it for the, the audience that's gathered, but basically it details uh, the expectations, it details the actions that have been taken to date, and then it also includes the recommendation that the Office of Technology has included. And then also it has what we would call a big bid tab associated with it that informs uh, board members about who bid and the pricing and then uh, basically the rubric for how they were scored. And again, someone in that may own their own small private business, certainly if they need a good or a service, they can go out and they can call anyone they want to make a purchase. Right. We don't operate that way as a public entity. Correct. Okay. Um, if you look at the next two items in 6.02, 6.03, um, if you'd like to share with us about those, uh, and that, again, something that we talked about in the overview last week, policy updates, something we right. see frequently on school board meetings. And briefly, uh, information item 6.02 is a response to House Enrolled Act uh, 1209, which basically uh, requires us to make certain that we uh, – align our hiring practices to the coaching certifications of the Indian High School Athletic Association. Uh, So if their certification has been revoked or suspended, we have to make certain that we are aware of that, and it just lays that out in in that particular uh, policy. And then another policy, a new policy and a policy update, then 6.03. So the uh, policy 8900 was updated. Uh, It basically is our anti-fraud policy. And then uh, as all of our policies go through legal review, uh, it was noted that we really don't have a policy against um, illegal uh, or unlawful activities from a federal, state, or local perspective. So then the new policy has been crafted 1411 and referenced in policy 8900 uh, for the board to review for two weeks, and then we would ask for their approval uh, two weeks from this uh, past Monday. Okay. And again, policy updates, as you've said, typically uh, the rationale for that is to align our policies with changes in state statute or state laws. Correct. And one more thing I did want to highlight, again, when you're looking at information item, you will not see at the bottom who made a motion, who voted, because of course those items aren't voted on at that meeting. That happens in the action side two weeks later. Correct. Okay. And then 
Item number seven or section seven moves into adjournment, and then that is the end of the meeting. So I think last night's meeting was a little less than an hour. Again, it's on our radio station, 90.7 WPSR, but um, a, a pretty good example of just a typical meeting that goes through everything legally, everything that's spelled out. So I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to share about that, but I think no, it's helpful. I think you've covered, but uh, you know, I think it's important for the public once again to be reminded that every action has to take place in the meeting that is held in the public different than a public meeting but sure. every action has to be held in the public so okay. and that's what this board does okay very good thank you dr smith we're going to do this again in two weeks uh, as we've said we typically have two meetings a month on monday evenings and so we're going to try to put these out on tuesdays so that people can follow along and see exactly what's taking place so thank you for going through this with us today thank you very much